Welcome to Profoundly, the new podcast from Fem Foundry. I'm your host, Pips Taylor, and each week I'll be harnessing the wisdom of a one-of-a-kind global community. Profoundly is a podcast for women who want to grow, learn, connect, and thrive. We'll be bringing our Fem Foundry leaders to you, who will be sharing industry expertise, personal stories, and advice to help you navigate every element of your life, from the professional to the very personal. There will be no jargon, no filters, just an open, honest conversation with some absolutely brilliant guests, and I am really excited to be a part of this. Today's guest is Michelle Elman, life coach, TEDx speaker, broadcaster, and author of Am I Ugly? and The Joy of Being Selfish. Michelle is a self-love activist and self-proclaimed queen of boundaries. Her insight, expertise, and passion around body positivity and female empowerment have led to multiple TV and radio appearances on Sky News and Loose Women, to name a few. She also hosts her own podcast, In All Honesty, so do check that out. Michelle is the brains behind the hugely successful Scarred Not Scared campaign, inspired by her own experience of living with scars after multiple surgeries. And just last year, she was named as one of the Sun's 50 most inspirational women in the UK and has been recognised as one of the top 100 creatives creating change. Today, she'll be here to give us a lesson in positivity, self-acceptance and boundary setting. Michelle, welcome to Profoundly. Thank you for having me on. Really excited to chat to you. Uh, So you've had a really interesting career. Uh, You started out as a life coach in 2014. And I've actually worked with life coaches and business coaches before. But I think a lot of people can struggle really to understand maybe what a life coach does and how they can help us. So how would you explain what you do? So I think there's a lot of overlap between life coaches and psychologists and counsellors and therapists, and it can be really overwhelming knowing the difference, especially if you're a person trying to seek help and wanting to go down a route of personal development. But the way I simplify it is that life coaches tend to be more future focused and therapists tend to focus more on the past or um, problematic behavior or patterns and that kind of thing. So a psychologist might ask what has happened happen to you and a life coach would ask but what do you want instead and what would someone get out of working with a life coach what would you focus on I know what my values are I know what my priorities are and for example uh, money has changed quite a lot in my values when I first started out seven years ago money didn't even appear in my top eight values it's now about number three but something like um, being understood being respected is still more important to me than money. So it's about knowing yourself and understanding yourself. And therefore, when you make decisions, you're more informed and uh, you can make decisions that fill out your life a bit more, give you a full life. What I really love about life coaching as well is that it gives you the time and the space to think about personal development and to really kind of honour yourself and, and the life that you're living. How have the past 18 months affected your outlook on life? It has really changed my perception of success because I have slowed down a lot. I was a person whose life was probably 70% work and I am definitely not at at the moment that kind of person. And even before the pandemic, I was very good at being alone. And then I spent the first lockdown and the third lockdown uh, completely alone. And those two happened to be the longest lockdowns. So I was living alone, working alone, in my apartment, um, seeing a friend once a week for a walk. And 
uh, yeah, it, it changed um, my point of view on my love life, which, as I just said, where I've never wanted a relationship, I suddenly wanted a relationship. And I made a lot of changes in my career, um, just moving in a def- different direction and knowing what what I used to do maybe wasn't working so well. It was just the fact that everything was ticking along. You never had that time to pause. I think it's allowed us all to pivot and to really evaluate who we are, what we want, what we want to be doing and the type of lives we want to be having moving forward because I don't know about you, but everything was just a million miles an hour. I mean, you come across as someone hugely positive uh, and also from 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 following you online and I feel like you've really got your shit together. <laughs> I try. Like, what, but what are your coping mechanisms for, say, a trickier day? You know, you've, you mentioned there you spent lots of time alone. Like, how did you overcome that? I love that I come across cross as positive but actually one of the most positive things I do is I don't force myself to be positive and so if I'm having a bad day I lean into that I let myself cry if I'm feeling angry I punch a pillow which might sound like an aggressive thing or um, an unhealthy thing to do but a lot of the times we have um, painted negative emotions as negative because of how you act on those emotions. And as long as you don't take it out on someone else or yourself and you're not hurting anyone, punching a pillow is a really healthy way to express anger. Crying is a really healthy way to express sadness. And I give myself full permission to feel all those things. I spent so many years of my life telling myself like, oh, I'm so sensitive. Why do I feel things so deeply than everyone else? Why am I fighting it rather than just embracing it? And so it's this new point of view, which especially in the last like four years has really helped in being really self-compassionate. Yeah. So instead I simply go like, it's okay. I understand why you're upset what you would say to a child I say to myself now where I go like it's okay you're upset telling myself that I shouldn't be feeling a certain way doesn't make that feeling disappear but letting myself actually feel it means that I'm not fighting so you can spend like all day fighting your sadness or you can just sit down and feel it and it will usually only take 10 minutes you're a real self-love and self-compassion advocate how did this come about So it probably came from the fact that I grew up so insecure and um, largely my insecurity was around the fact that I'd had 15 surgeries before the age of 19. And so it left me with a lot of scars across my stomach, my head, my ankles. Um, And when you're growing up with scars from the age of one, uh, it's a problem that most your friends don't have, which creates even more shame around it than you would normally have. And so I didn't speak about it for the majority of my life. And it was this big burden I carried around and this big secret. And I thought that meant I was unlovable and there was something wrong with me and it made me ugly and all of these things. Um, and then the pivotal moment, I guess, was actually at 15. I just accepted I was ugly and was like, okay, but ugly people live fulfilled lives all the time. So I'm just going to go about life and tick every other area of life. I'm going to tick every other box because I can't even attempt to tick the beauty box, which sounds really sad and depressing, but I actually think it's one of the best things I ever did because it meant I started going after other things in life that I always thought I could never do because I wasn't beautiful. Like um, I started going after leadership positions in school and 
I started appreciating the other aspects of myself. So the fact that I was a really great leader, that I'm really outspoken, all of these things that I never noticed because I spent so long trying to change the way I was looking. As I grew up, I realized, wait, I'm not ugly. Where has this perception? Where's it come from? I actually think it came from the movies. Like if you think about any scar that you see in movies, it's associated with a villain. And even... In the real world, when a scar is seen as positive, it's manly. It's on men. It's like, oh, you're tough, you're brave. But it's not attractive on women. I've had people say like, oh, you're, if you find someone, um, you're going to find it t- difficult to find someone to date. That message was said so many times to me That's growing outrageous. up. The shocking thing is I've actually never had a negative experience around my scars when it comes to dating. I had it in my childhood around teenagers and uh, friends and all of that. But Most people are decent human beings. (laughs) They're not going to, this idea that I had in my head at 15 years old, my worst nightmare of like taking my top off for the first time and someone coming, going, running, screaming from the bedroom. Like that was never going to happen. Your scarred, not scared campaign, which, you know, is, it is what you're called on Instagram. It is what you are predominantly known of is I think so powerful uh, and such a brilliant message. And one of the things that you, you said, you said that you've had more operations than you had organs at one point. And I feel like with your story, you've really overcome a lot of adversity and you've you've actually overcome it with your humour. I like to joke about it quite a lot. And that means my jokes tend to be quite morbid. What I realised that half the difficulty with scars is that people ask questions about it and I didn't know the answer to those questions and I didn't even want to be having the conversation I used to say a lot that they were the reminder of the worst time in my life and because I couldn't talk about the worst time in my life it was it always was this thing I had to hide whereas as soon as I could talk about it it became a normal part of everyday conversation and a big part of that was actually getting a friendship group that accepted me how I was and didn't make my illnesses or my surgeries or me going into hospital a big deal when it did happen. I want to kind of come to the word brave, which is obviously often used to describe women like you who are really open um, and share things that society would maybe see as imperfections, such as your scars. How do you feel about this term brave? I I understand it's a compliment. And so I take it as such because I don't think anyone's ill meaning around it. But I don't personally find it an act of bravery that I went through my surgeries, because if I could choose to go through them, I would have declined that offer Absolutely. <laughs> as would most people in the world I did make the best out of a bad situation um but in terms of wearing a bikini with scars or wearing a bikini at my size or all of these things that I get told I'm brave for um I don't think about it that much like I've built myself up to get there and done this really scary thing I don't find it scary to wear a bikini what I think of my body is the only opinion that matters so if something did happen whether I was wearing a bikini on a beach and someone made a comment I would be like I am so fiercely protective of my body I almost see it like a separate person where I'm like how dare you talk about my body like that do you know what I've been through what my body has been through how much it's fought for me to stay alive and you a random stranger on the beach has the right to comment on it. It's not really anger for myself as much as it's anger for every other person who has scars. Because when someone says something to me, I'm absolutely fine. I'll be fine. I've got my self-esteem in place. I've worked hard enough to get there. You're not going to tear that down. But God forbid you said that to someone who, or said that to me when I was 15 years old, or said that to me when I was 10, or another 10-year-old who's going through the same thing, or worse, someone who can't doesn't have the choice to hide their scars. So I can put a top on and no one knows. 
But if someone's living with it on their face, that's an experience they're facing every single day. And that's the part that really gets under my skin. Do you talk a lot about body po- uh, positivity? You've done your TED Talk, your Am I Ugly book, and you've your Scarred Not Scared campaign. Um, and you're also a big social media user. Do you find social media a difficult place to be in terms of maintaining this positive outlook? I have definitely struggled with it in the last few years. And I like being honest about it because if even influencers are having a difficulty, and I guess that's what part of my job is labeled as, but if influencers are having difficulty being online, then how is it impacting the everyday user? I think the main problem with social media I face is the fact that it keeps you in your head and I'm happiest when I'm living in my body and not in my brain. Now there's been quite a lot of talk recently about body neutrality as a more realistic goal rather than body positivity. Um, What do you think of of this? I think there's a difference between body positivity and body confidence. And so um, I think body positivity is a political movement that seeks to address uh, the people who live in marginalized bodies and the oppression they face. So whether that's because of weight or race or um, sexuality, if you live in a different body or a body that is considered other, um, those are the bodies that need to be seen as represented in society and um, face oppression like wouldn't be able to get a job as easily because of the way they look. Body confidence is your own relationship with your own body. And therefore, I think body neutrality falls into the umbrella of body confidence. I think people get confused because of the label body positivity that it's being positive about your body and that's actually body confidence my personal journey is that once I accepted I was ugly that is what actually led me to loving my body but I never actually sought out to actively love my scars I didn't need to love my scars to live my life I just needed to stop thinking about it and that was my solution so I guess some people would say I went through a journey of body neutrality what I would uh, steer away from is saying that truly loving your body all day every day is not a possibility because I would actually say I'm in that place how much have you had to rewire your mindset what was the work that you had to do to get to where you are because I feel like you know it, it is achievable but it does take an awful lot of work and constant practice And this is where I think people think my point of view on my body is unrealistic because it uh, when you are telling it from the end point, it sounds like it happened to me overnight that I made one decision. It was five to eight years of me consciously working on my body confidence, on being more okay with my body. Okay, I'm going to stop talking negatively about my body. If I don't want people to pay attention to it, stop pointing out that your thighs are fat. Stop pointing out that you hate your scars, give it less energy, and therefore it takes up less of your day. So by accepting I was ugly and not talking about my insecurities, I was giving more time to the more important things in my life. And then... um, it was going into university where I started talking about my surgeries that really um, helped my body confidence. And then um, it was this mentality shift with one of my guy friends. He had overheard a conversation in which I was talking about my body and I compared my body to a scratched handbag. And I was like, why would you ever go and pick up the scratched handbag in the shop? And he went, you know, the other day you were talking about the handbag. Um, was that about you? Were you talking about your body? And I was like, yeah, that's a bit embarrassing, but yeah, what's why? And he was like, 
that's not the way to look at it. And he was like, look, I have alopecia. I have um, psoriasis on my legs. I have an Afro and I'm ginger. Like there are a million reasons why someone wouldn't want to date me, but you actually have such a gift with having those scars because it means you find out if someone's a dickhead from the start and you don't find out weeks down the line. So he started referring it to it as my dickhead filter. And it genuinely changed the way I looked at it because the thing is, if someone can't deal with a few scars on my stomach, how the hell are they going to deal with me actually going into hospital? I love the dickhead filter. I think that is one of the best things I've heard. I think we should all have a dickhead filter. Because, you know, we want to promote health and exercise and embracing our bodies. But, you know, we also have a responsibility to do that in a, in a healthy way and, you know, f- and, and be role models for the next generation. And with it being on health rather than an image. Yeah, exactly. And I also think when we focus on aesthetics, it takes all the fun out of movement. I love moving my body. I love paddleboarding. I love playing squash. And all of those things I only started enjoying once I took calories, nutrition, all of that off the table. And you know what? It was a big part of my body positivity journey, learning to love exercise, um, because it was my last hospitalization where I became bedridden. And I'd spent so many years hating my body for being a certain size or being a certain weight or my scars. And then I couldn't move. And I realized that your body has a much greater purpose than looking pretty. And all I wanted to do when I came out of hospital was run. And I've never been a runner and I'm still not a runner. (laughs) But I started running for the first time. And it was the first time I realized how powerful my body is. The fact that I'd been through 15 surgeries and I could still run if I wanted to um, was one of the most empowering things. Do you have any tips for people to connect more and connect better with their bodies if they do have, for example, insecurities? I remove mirrors, remove calories on a treadmill, put the towel over the calories thing, literally focus being in your body and listen to your body. So stop having rules around your workout needs to be 60 minutes long. If you want to go for 10 minutes, go for 10 minutes. And actually honoring that and listening to myself meant that when I was running and I started feeling a pain in my body, I was in my body enough to notice it and stop and treat my body with kindness rather than looking at the time on the treadmill and going, well, I'm meant to be running for four more minutes. Now, this month in October, it is the International Day of the Girl, uh, which is something that I'm also really passionate about and have done lots of mentoring around in, in the past. And I know that you also go into schools and talk to young girls about uh, their body image uh, and about your story. Do you think we need to start younger with talking to girls about positive body image? Yeah, I also think there just needs to be a less of a focus on body image in general, where the more we talk about bodies, this is actually the most ironic thing about the body positivity movement. And I felt it myself personally being one of the original people who've been doing it for seven years, that it's a whole movement to talk about how we're more than our bodies, that all bodies are good bodies. And yet all we're doing all day is talking about our bodies rather than, and it it was this resentment I felt growing up being like my brother never spent any time at lunchtime talking to his friends about what he looked like he was talking about important stuff or his hobbies maybe not important things maybe it was like his favorite tv show or whatever it doesn't matter he was talking about something fun or he was talking about something that actually was important every lunchtime i had probably between the ages of 13 and 18 was about calories weight loss diets and what we look like and so how are we meant to grow up in a world where we think about anything other than that. And ultimately, I think this obsession with thinness and um, the beauty ideal 
is a way to try to diminish women's power because once while you're thinking about that it takes up your time and energy in a way that takes away from whatever your purpose is in life when you go in what are you what do you talk to them about what is your message I give them a number of tools around um, social media because I think digital literacy is really important. And also that you do have alternatives to um, staying on social media all day, every day. Like, And you can be honest online. A lot of the time when I was posting seven years ago, people were saying, oh, you can't, you're not going to get good engagement if you don't wear makeup. You're not going to get good engagement if, I don't care. Like, this is my page. And following those people who put themselves out authentically, who you'll see what they actually look like in their Instagram stories every day. That does have a positive influence. I really want to talk boundaries, okay? Because you describe yourself on Instagram as the queen of boundaries. And this is something that you focus on in your new book, The Joy of Being Selfish. Why are boundaries so important for us? I think boundaries are how we teach the world to treat us. And it's the line between who we are and who the world wants us to be. So without boundaries, I was a pushover. I was a people pleaser. I was exhausted, burnt out all the time. And I had a bunch of people in my life who treated me really awfully. Now with boundaries, my life is simple. And if any of us are sort of listening and thinking, do you know what? I'm a bit rubbish with boundaries and I need to set more. Sort of what are the simple steps that we can take towards setting healthier boundaries for ourselves? So the first boundary we all learn is the word no. And being able to use that makes your yes more powerful. And so it might be learning how to say no in a restaurant when someone asks you, oh, are you happy with your food? And actually being honest. Or when you're in the hairdressers and they're saying, oh, are you happy? So the biggest telltale sign is if you feel anger or resentment in your body, that's usually because someone is crossing your boundaries. And rather than invalidating those emotions and going, well, I shouldn't feel angry or I should forget about it or... I don't know why I feel resentment because I should feel happy for them. Actually check why you're feeling that emotion, validate that emotion, go, oh, the reason why I'm feeling angry is because it's trying to tell me something and that it's telling you, you need to set boundaries. And I particularly liked in your book, your selfish method. Uh, can you just give us a little flavor um, briefly of how that method works and what you created? Yeah, so it's about learning how to set boundaries the right way. But the first few steps are about preparing almost the mentality around it, making sure you uh, have cleared all the emotions around it so that you're able to walk into the conversation in an emotionally neutral way. And then the final two steps are setting the boundary and holding the boundary. Something that you've also touched on is this idea of being um, selfless is like a badge of honor. And you've said that most people are selfless because they don't believe their true self-worth. I find this quite fascinating and something that I have previously been able to relate to. How can we improve our self-worth? I think selfless people often give so much because they don't feel like they're enough in the first place. And so I remember there was a time where I believed that my friends were only friends with me because I was the reliable friends. I would be the person who would pick up the phone. I didn't actually think they would want to be friends with me if I didn't do that. And so it would be the scariest thing in the world to start um, putting myself first or saying no to a party invite because the story I was telling myself was, I'll never be invited again. You deserve people who are going to respect your no. You deserve people who want you to put yourself first. Do you, do you think the tendency for people pleasing is something that women in particular struggle with? 
Absolutely. I think there has been, we're ingrained from a young age and we're also brought up in a society that um, places a greater emphasis on women being selfless. We are always complimented on that. And we are expected to be martyrs who give ourselves, um, give every ounce of energy and time we have to help others and be there for others and be caring and loving and empathetic. But we rarely have any time and energy to be caring, loving and empathetic towards ourselves. And so um, women in particular feel guilt when setting boundaries. Women in particular care about being um, disliked a lot more um, because we operate more on uh, this currency of being uh reliable of being needed being wanted and a lot of the time women base their whole self-esteem on that why do you think that so many girls become self-critical at such a young age what do you think is responsible for that I think it, the the inner critic that is in our head isn't your voice. It's a voice from childhood. And so therefore, um, if you are a very critical person, the likelihood is you had a caregiver in your childhood who was very critical of themselves or of you. And so um, I think it's this idea of being really unforgiving to ourselves makes us more successful or ambitious and that we'll work harder if we have this really tough mentality with ourselves. But being compassionate to my Self has never made me lazy and being compassionate myself actually uh, motivates me more because when you give yourself the rest and the time you need to actually recuperate and make time for fun and joy and all of those things you have more energy to work world mental health day is in october and you're very open uh, about mental health and you're a, a brilliant mental health advocate as well from your uh, scarred not scared campaign you've been really open about dealing with trauma and ptsd and I know that you talked about what you've been through and, you know, you've had uh, how you've processed things. But have you ever had any triggers on the on those um, on trauma and, and, and PTSD? And how do you approach this? I'm actually also asking this for my interest as well, because I have uh, PTSD and live with trauma. And I find it quite um, helpful to ask people how how they deal when they have things that do trigger them, how how they cope with it best thing I found and the thing that I am really into talking about at the moment is something called somatic processing so it's actually feeling where in your body the feeling lies so it does you don't need to put a label to it you don't need to put an emotion to it so you don't need to put fear anger guilt sadness but actually just doing a body scan and going okay so where is this tightness in my body and does it feel familiar to a feeling I felt in the past? And a lot of the time it would be dragging me back to a memory or a feeling from the past. And let's say if I tapped in now, I can feel there's a little bit of tension around my stomach, actually sitting with that tension. And that's the thing you've been avoiding. And so usually once you focus on that sensation in your body, it will tighten. And then at some point it will release and you just keep breathing through it. And it's because um, within life coaching, we call emotions, energy and motion. And so when you're feeling something in your body, you're physically feeling it in your body. And a lot of the time we don't realize that. And so it's about catching it in that moment. So sometimes I might be triggered on stage or something comes up for me. I just, and I'll do this on stage. I will do it public speaking. I'll put my hand on my heart and I will say to myself, um, you're safe, we'll deal with this later. I do it as a reassuring thing. But then when I say we'll deal with it later, I make time to deal with it later. So sometimes that's canceling evening plans and sitting on my sofa and sitting and feeling it. But 
I think it was a pivotal thing for me to realize that the thing I was running away from was that feeling where it gets worse before it gets better. And I'm talking, it's a few, it's a few seconds, maybe even a minute of it getting worse, but then it softens and you have all of that energy trapped in your body. So you're either carrying it around day to day or you sit and feel it and you can actually get rid of it. I just want to touch on your podcast called In All Honesty, because I feel like through your podcast, you've got an insight into our collective minds and definitely the current state of our mental health, especially over the past 18 months. What are the most common questions that you're being asked? What are the most common themes at the moment? I think people are so lonely right now. I think we have a culture of loneliness and I think the pandemic just amplified that. I think there was a lot of community even 10 years ago, whether it was within our neighborhoods, within religion, all of these things as people have got less religious, as we don't know our neighbors as much. And then in the pandemic where you're physically isolated, um, I think we have such a sense of not of a lack of connection And what I'm also seeing online is this almost promotion of the idea that if you need connection or if you need intimacy, you're weak. This whole like strong, independent woman thing has got a little, um, not toxic, but has got a little extreme in that. And so a lot of the solution around um, connection is actually when you're having that moment of feeling like you're completely alone in the world and no one cares about you and no one loves you, actually reaching out to a friend, send a text, pick up the phone, give your friend a call and actually remind yourself there are people who love you. There are people who care about you. Um, And I also am seeing that there's a big thing, especially with single people around physical touch deprivation. We've not been hugging each other and touch is so important. The loneliness thing, you know, and especially as we kind of come to World uh, World Mental Health Day, you know, if you are feeling lonely, please do uh, reach out uh, to someone, uh, reach out to us on the app. Uh, we're always here to, to, to chat. If you are ever feeling alone or struggling to cope, there are organisations that can help, such as the Samaritans. So whatever you're going through, you can reach out to them and please remember that you are not alone. So I just want to finish off, Michelle, with our four pillars. So here at Fem Foundry, we have four pillars. They're mental health, physical health, financial health and spiritual health. So this is our little quick fire round. Um, and I'd love for you to share your best piece of advice on each. So how do you look after your mental health? Giving myself rest days. I think rest is really important and we need to stop this culture of glorifying being busy for the sake of being busy. Keeping up your physical health, what is important for you? Fun. So if it's if you don't enjoy it, don't do it. You can find a way to move your body in a way that you like and it never has to be punishment. I mean, are you good with your financial health, would you say? What are your top tips for that? My top tip for that is uh, knowing what you are worth and charging that and raising your fees. I remember there was a moment where where I was really overworked. I had so many jobs going on that I threw out a fee that was three times the price that I normally do simply because I had no time to say yes to it anyway. So just as an experiment. And the person came back and said yes within two seconds. I'm so passionate about this because I think men are having these conversations and women are not. And uh, finally, spiritual health. Uh, Are you a spiritual person? Are you in tune with your spirituality? And how do you nurture it? 
I am a spiritual person. I believe in the universe and I also believe in a connection to the universe and that the universe isn't particularly invested in whether you are doing positively or negatively or labeling it in any way, but that it always has your back. And so uh, the way that I connect to it is through meditation. I try to make time for meditation every day. Oh, well, Michelle, you have been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on as a guest uh, to Profoundly. Uh, If you'd like to uh, connect with Michelle, you can do on the app. She's one of our Fem Foundry leaders. Uh, But a huge thank you for sharing all your amazing advice uh, and your story with us on Profoundly today. Thank you so much. It was so lovely talking to you. Oh, I could have chatted to Michelle for hours. Um, I just love all of the information that's shared about boundary setting there. I hope it's useful for you guys. Now, here at Fem Foundry, we believe in taking a holistic view, making sure we're keeping an eye on all four of the pillars that hold us up and help us thrive. These pillars are the foundations of our community, and we want to help everyone to build their financial, physical, mental and spiritual health. This week, we are shining the spotlight on spiritual health with some advice from entrepreneur and visibility and wealth coach, Laura Tinnan. She's going to be talking about meditation and learning to welcome change as the summer moves into autumn. So Laura, how do you define spiritual health? Spiritual health is something that we define for ourselves. So it's actually that connection with yourself, having a connection with your own emotional set point, knowing how you're feeling, what's impacting it. And I think getting to an awareness that our world around us is more than what we can perceive through our five senses. It feels like a real time of change at the moment and a sort of fresh start. But what is it about this time of year, do you think, that brings us that feeling of new beginnings and how can we embrace that? So to become more in tune, one of the key things I always think is the first stepping point is meditation. It's really about reconnecting back with your own self tuning back into who is that other person living within me, right? There's the two selves, there's the two voices. What's that narrative that's happening? What's that script that's running in the background that is determining all the results, everything I'm experiencing in my life? So just tuning back in, finding the silence, finding that connection with yourself. What actions can we take to, I suppose, discover that connection? So if we look at how our world around us operates, right, every season with it brings new change. And we see nature as a great teacher and how it automatically changes and adjusts and adapts to what's happening in its environment. And us as individuals can do the same as well. And, you know, I see change as just invitations for new lessons, new beginnings, you know, new opportunities for growth. Some great spiritual advice there from Laura. You can, of course, connect with her on the app uh, and Michelle Elman, uh, who we spoke to earlier, and continue this conversation online. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll be back next week with a brand new leader sharing their insights and experiences. Please do let us know if you like the episode. You can, of course, subscribe, rate us, and give us a follow on Instagram at FemFoundryApp at Pips underscore Taylor. I'll see you next week.